Welcome to Let's Talk Native on this Tuesday, July 7th, 2020. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual, spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We're shooting for a different kind of enlightenment here. We kind of break the rules for Native radio. We don't do prayers, we don't do Buffalo speeches, and we don't do spirituality shows. We uh, take a tough look at history, oppression, survival. Um, we talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity, and we may step on a few toes along the way. But a real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us. And we do it all right here live from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. Hey, if you're watching us, you are watching us either on Facebook Live or you are watching us on our YouTube channel. Or perhaps you're listening to us on our podcast. Um, so by all means, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV or subscribe and or subscribe to our podcast, uh, which you can find on any of our any of the, the um, uh, your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, just look for uh, Let's Talk Native with John Kane podcast. Um, look, I'm going to talk about, you know, all the appeals that we that we try to make over morality, over honor over respect oftentimes just fall flat because in the world that we live in or that surrounds us especially in the united states in the cap the capitalist society that we live in money talks and i'll i'm, I'm kind of specifically talking about the mascot issue but i'm going to expand that thought beyond just uh, just the mascot issue Look, we, there has been a solid effort for 30 years, actually more than that, but a solid effort for 30 years to try to get the Washington football team, the, the U.S. capital, the, the billion-dollar franchise from the U.S. capital, to change its name from the racial slur that it is uh, to something that does not misappropriate Native imagery, that does not make a mockery of who we are, that is not based on a racial slur. That's That effort's been there. And we have enlisted the help of psychologists and, uh, you know, all kinds of people who've done analyses. The United States has been party to international um, commissions to end all forms of uh, racial uh, racism and discrimination. And yet there in the U.S. nation's capital, they have a, 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 a sports franchise, a billion-dollar sports franchise with a racial slur for a name. We tried, we, we've, look, we've tried to shame people. We've tried to appeal to decency and morality, and it's always fallen flat. There was an effort to, to challenge the, uh, the right to trademark a racial slur, and that was pretty successful until <laughs> a group of uh, who was being precluded or pre- prevented from using a racial slur um, as the name of their band, an Asian band using a, a racial slur for Asians, it it kind of disrupted the whole the whole argument. Previously, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office said, uh, "No, we will not provide U.S. government and court protection for a racial slur or for any kind of derogatory speech." Yeah. Uh, Free to use it, but we're not going to give you trademark protection. We're not going to protect your moneyed interest in, in a racial slur. Well, that changed when, uh, when, this, when this group decided to call themselves the Slants. And they challenged their right to trademark that, that name. So 
the Washington football team lost those trademark arguments, always lost those trademarks, because they were using a racial slur that they weren't a part of the uh, affected group. They were just the ones who had appropriated this racial slur, and they lost every, every time. And it wasn't until somebody else had a, um, a similar uh, argument that, they, that the Supreme Court basically made the use of the R word um, a moot in terms of uh, challenging on a, on a trademark. But see, that, that uh, argument and the effectiveness of that argument would have created a financial burden. The NFL never would approve of a, of a, 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 a team uh, having a name that they couldn't copyright protect. They, they, they couldn't prevent, you know, counterfeit, you know, Washington jerseys and all that other stuff. They, if they couldn't have the official seal and, and have that protected through the Patent and Trademark Office, they never would have allowed it. So the financial interest would have challenged that. But, if, but of course, that became a moot point. So now, and in, in the midst of Black Lives Matter protests because of the, uh, you know, the, the murder of George Floyd and, and so many other black people and, and other people of color, for that matter, that have been uh, murdered by the police or murdered in general and, and covered up by the police. Um, because of that movement and, and the, the racial tensions associated with it, combine that with even the, uh, uh, the Confederate statues issue. So you had this convergence of um, uh, of issues between a, a real live murder, you know, caught on film, and this idea of this uh, Jim Crow era, we're going to sh- put it in your face with uh, with Confederate statues, finally running its course. I mean, all of this came together to now raise issues even more thoroughly about racial uh, slurs or, you know, um, promotion of racism. You had the, the butter company, Land Lakes take the, the native woman off. And although they were doing it for other reasons, not anything to do with right or wrong, but Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben's, the, these, you know, these products no longer wanted to be in the business of promoting these racial stereotypes. And, and, and of course, again, the key word there is business. They were afraid that there was going to be a financial cost to 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 continue to plow that road. Major investors, you know, across the United, across the globe, for that matter, insisted upon the Washington Football Team that they needed to change their name, including FedEx, which is the sponsor of their stadium, uh, Nike, uh, Pepsi. In fact, Walmart and Target pulled all of the Washington um, uh, merchandise out, off of their shelves. No longer available. So Nike no longer ha- produces or sells uh, Washington merchandise. And, and these retailers, two, the two biggest retailers in the United States, Target and Walmart, said, no, nah, we're, we're pulling it off the shelves. That's the only thing that's changed. Uh, the morality question, and in fact, even the the investors, even the moneyed interest that that drove this home to uh, Washington, were doing it because of money. They were doing it because of, of the financial fallout. I'd like to say that that there was a, a you know some level of enlightenment, and that somebody you know became woke, as they say. They didn't. You know, they, this isn't about woke. This is about being broke. This is a, a completely different incentive. 
Now, I'm not complaining. You know, I'm not complaining that you know that it's being pulled for the wrong reason. And now, <laughs> I understand the reason, and I understand exactly what drives. I mean, that's why I supported the the um, uh, the trademark argument. I, you know, be, beyond whether I think it's the the propriety of uh, the uh, the federal government in terms of what they protect. Look, there's all kinds of. Uh, unethical things that the U.S. government protects with their courts and with their trademark protection, with the regulatory issues and all that stuff. And we'll even talk about that a little bit. Um, but in, in, in this case, you know, what, I, what we saw was all of those arguments about right and wrong, all of the negative impact, all of the, you know, the stereotype and racism, all that stuff didn't, didn't change anything. At least not when, as a um, uh, regarding the NFL franchise in the nation's U.S. nation's capital. No, didn't affect anything there. Only when big money talked to big money, uh, then all of a sudden um, it, it had an effect. Now I will say, as Native people, we were winning the war um, on high schools and even even colleges. We were we were winning that that battle. We were, you know, every year. Um, high schools that not only had the, the the racial slur, the R word for the name, but you, you know other ones that had native um, mascots or, or nicknames: warriors, Braves, Indians, all of it. As I'm wearing my Caucasian shirt, by the way. Um, no, we were winning that uh, every year. Um, these schools were dropping the, these names; they're, they're dropping like flies, as they say. I was a part of a local one here in uh, a suburb of Buffalo, Lancaster High School, that, and they were the R word. And I was a part of not protesting. I, I didn't look. I never went to, to Lancaster to raise hell. I was invited in by the superintendent and the school board so they could hear directly from Native people. And I was among a group of us that uh, that were asked to go and explain what's wrong with this idea and and why aren't we honored why don't we feel honored and all that stuff so i was i was invited in now i've also weighed in uninvited <laughs> to many other uh many other debates in various schools you know folks in the Shamany, uh down in uh you know, wilmington delaware i mean different places uh, I, in fact i i went to a couple of school board meetings and in in, in various places to, to offer the insight that that I can offer as a native person and as somebody who can contextualize the issue and somebody who can uh, communicate what the issues are. I, I went to a school myself that was called the Cambridge, or I'm sorry, is called the Cambridge Indians. And look, even going to a class reunion a couple of years ago, I raised the issue then. Now, I haven't gone and campaigned uh, at that school. Um, I'm not saying that I won't. But I grew up in that. I was, in fact, I was for much of the time that I w was in high school. I was the only native native family. My family was the only native family there, and so I knew what that felt like. And yeah, on some some levels, there was a certain respect uh, for being native that was there. But look, I still recall being, uh, you know, called, you know, re being referred to in ways that. Uh, um, Seemed okay because they were my buddies, right? You know, um, the uh, calling a, 
uh, a red N-word, um, a, a prairie N-word. I mean, these kind of expressions have been used for, for many, many years. And when it comes from your friend, it's like, I guess it's like calling your, your, your buddy a bitch or something like that. But I can't remember ever, ever being called that, uh, uh, you know, a bitch. But I remember the I remember the the derogatory even when they were used as some sort of you know backhanded you know term of endearment or whatever I don't know, but I still recall them. Uh, and it's funny somebody just recently posted um, as we were talking about these masks and well don't, let's not forget songs like One Little Two Little Three Little India or John Brown Had a Little Indian all that stuff that as kids we. I mean, I remember being taunted on the playground in fourth grade and grabbing the back of, <laughs> of one of my classmates, it was this girl, grabbing the back of her dress, you know, how the, they got like a, uh, a ribbon that ties behind, and I grabbed it and, and it ripped it right off of her dress. Man, did I catch hell. There was no hell caught for, you know, somebody running around singing, you know, one little, two little, three little Indians because that was acceptable. Ripping a girl's dress, yeah, that was never that was never appropriate. But I you know, these are the kind of, and I wasn't like insane out of my mind, crazy mad, but it annoyed me enough that I that I chased her and I grabbed her and ripped her dress. Um But I mean this is I still could remember these things. In fact I could I could name the girl. I mean <laughs> I remember I, I remember it as clear as, as could be. So but it, but in going to these schools, I could, I could relay, you know, the experience. I could talk not only about the, perhaps the less offensive misnomers like Indians. And of course, every school, every school that uses a native mascot fails to recognize the native people of the, of the area, that, you know, the, um, the, the indigenous people to that area. They always put the Plains Indian headdress, right? They always have the, the same kind of imagery. And to, so, it, you know, if, if I went where I went to school, it would have been, been Mohawks, you know, Gunyagahaga that would have been in that area. Now, they're never represented on, on the logos. And I'm not saying that would have been, that would have solved the problem. But it just kind of shows that by stereotyping us, you miscommunicate what a native person is. I mean, most people don't even see us and, and recognize us as, as native people today because it's ingrained in their heads through cartoons, through Hollywood, through media, through advertisement, through, you know, everything. What is it, what a native person is, what it looks like. I mean, I don't think there's any native person who hasn't, and I don't care how dark they are, I don't care how long their hair is, or, you know, unless they're dancing in regalia, I don't, I think almost every Native person at some point experienced some non-Native saying, oh, you don't look Indian. I mean, it just happens. I mean, and, and, and look, am I the, the, the dark, I, nobody's going to carve my face, uh, you know, on, onto a nickel. You know, I get that. I'm not, I'm not trying to tout myself as the, you know, as the poster boy for, for Indian-ness. Um, but I mean, even I know people who, who, I, I don't care what they look like. This, oh, I didn't realize you didn't, you don't look Indian. I mean, isn't that the, that's the Donald Trump line, right? They don't look Indian to me. We're talking about the Pequots because he couldn't compete against them in gaming. Um, but anyway, we, we have been successful in educating the educators. And that's why school after school, year after year, 
they dropped the names. And and this year alone, I, I there's at least since January, I think there's at least a half a dozen schools that I'm aware of that dropped, you know, some form of of, of native uh, nickname or mascot. And some years, you know, it's even more. But so we've we've had success. Where we haven't had success is where the big moneyed interests are, like the NFL team in in Washington D.C. That's where we haven't had any success. And and the reason is because until you cripple them, until you hit them in the wallet, a rich guy like Dan Snyder, the owner of the, the Washington football team, until you hit them in their wallet, they don't hear anything. They deflect. They'll, they'll ignore. I mean, and frankly, people who support the name, the, the use of Native, they invariably will try to change the subject. You say, well, it's, it's offensiveness. Well, I find cowboys offensive and, and Vikings and, you know, uh, fighting Irish. So they never can stay on target, on, on task, and look at the, the issue that we're talking about. They'll, they'll deflect. And that is exactly what a racist does all the time. The, the first time you call somebody out as a racist, they'll talk about reverse racism, which doesn't exist. They'll talk about what their experience and how they were mistreated, you know, as a some sort of marginalized person because they're Irish or Italian and they were mistreated by by black people or something like that. So they'll totally deflect, which is a way of addressing. I mean, there, there's two. Once somebody educates you and 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 tries to enlighten you about what is offensive in, in some sort of racist behavior. There are two things that you can do. You can change your behavior and believe the person that's, that's what they're telling you, or you can willfully remain ignorant and you can ignore what is being told to you and you can deny somebody else's right to feel a certain way. I'm not telling people how to feel. All I can say is, is how somebody's actions affect me. Or, or or impact me, or even if they don't, you know, hurt me physically. How I know they've created something that I've got to somehow correct, either with my own children or my grandchildren or, or somebody else. I got to say that's that's wrong. That's wrong to do that. And so we we've gone through this stuff, but again, until big money and. Look, I'm glad they've done it. I'm, I'm glad FedEx and Nike and Walmart and, you know, all these, these companies. But, you know, you've got to ask the question, what took so long? You know, why? You know, why, why couldn't you hear? Why couldn't you hear us? I mean, we, you can talk, now we can put all the blame on Dan Snyder or the owners of the, you know, the, the Cleveland baseball team or the Atlanta baseball team. But it took this long for... Shame? No, because it wasn't shame. What took this long was there to be a strong enough resurgence in, 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 in anti-racism, in, in the fight against racism. It took the, another murder of an unarmed black man. It took racists running people over with their cars because they were either celebrating the takedown of a, of a statue or they were protesting the existence of a Confederate slave uh, era statue. I mean, so, I mean, and there's a certain irony that a protest associated with um, white supremacy, opposing white supremacy, gets plowed into by a white supremacist in a, in a motor vehicle. And, and, and it just happened, you know, again, just the other day. I mean, and it's happened several times. It's just like, 
the idea of people protesting police brutality are met by with police brutality. I mean, it's like you can't. I mean, you, you can't invent this stuff. I mean, you know, to, to get the exact problem that you're protesting jammed in your face with with batons and pepper spray and uh, you know, um, look, the cops running people over. I mean, I, I saw the, the police cruiser in New York City that was, was opening their door as they were driving down the street, just trying to door people, knocking young you know, kids, pepper spraying kids, knocking, you know, smaller women uh, on the ground. And one woman had to go to the hospital with seizures because she was knocked to the ground. A 75-year-old man here in Buffalo getting, you know, getting knocked over by, by two police officers. To the point where he he had such a brain hemorrhage, blood starts pouring out of his ear. I mean, to to go to a a rally or a protest and protest police brutality and then be met with police brutality, that's exactly the point, right? So that's what is happening now. That is now capturing the, the attention of moneyed interest. I mean... Look, Nike also um, took a chance in supporting Colin Kaepernick, which they were kind of slow to the dance, but they did it. And, uh, you know, so they they stepped up and they took a a bet that taking a uh, the right side of a social issue could be profitable. And and they were right. It was. I mean, and. Again, I, I don't want to condemn them for it, but money talks. Because I guarantee if Nike got their asses kicked over supporting Colin Kaepernick and, and, and you know, doing some sponsorship and hiring him, you know, um, with some sponsorship, they wouldn't be uh, very quick to this dance with, uh, with Dan Snyder and the Washington football team. But, you know... Again, seeing more and more people come out to the street. And not just black people, not just native people, but white allies. You know, people across all kinds of segments of society. And, and it would be great to say people who cross all segments of, political, of the political spectrum. But unfortunately, you can look at almost any issue. If those who condemn Black Lives Matter are all on the right. Those who support racist mascots, native mascots, they're all on the right. You know, it's it's almost you know uh, an oxymoron to to call them the right because they're so freaking wrong most of the time. I mean, that's that's the world that we live in, you know. And and it's not just Trump supporters because look, there's a whole segment of political right leaning people, politically right leaning people, who are coming to realize that 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 Trump is the ass that most most of us known have always known him to be. And they're trying to create some distance. It's probably a little too late for them. But, um, but they still are going to watch Fox News religiously. They're still going to you know, condemn anything that they can characterize as liberal, as you know, the enemy. And then, of course, try to weaponize this notion of political correctness, which is, which is absurd. I mean, you know, this whole idea of, of political correctness... These issues are about ethically correct, morally correct. It's about trying to be correct, you know, um, from a social justice standpoint. But rather than address morality or ethics or justice, 
you put it into this other bucket and then call it a, a bad thing. Well, that's just political correctness run amok. Whatever the hell that's really supposed to mean. Look, you know what I think is, um, is where... It's not even political correctness. I mean, when I think about absurd things, you know what's absurd? is passing Americans with Disabilities Act and then airlines putting Braille on a light switch on, on, a, um, you know, on the overhead lights on a, on, a, <laughs> on a plane. Now, that is the idea of trying to be correct going, going you know, the, the wrong way because obviously blind people don't need to turn lights on. That's kind of my point. Um, but... There's no question that the American with Disabilities Act was a giant step forward to try to make equal access to, you know, for people who are wheelchair bound, for blind people, for deaf people, you know, people who have a disability uh, or who have a challenge of some sort. I don't even want like to, you know, call them, uh, call anybody who has, you know, maybe some diminished um you know, attribute disabled because oftentimes you're going to find find out that it's only disability because of what society has created. The fact that they've prohibited people from having access. The disability is are the institutions. It's not the individual. And see, and that's what we're talking about with any of this stuff. We're trying to say it's the institutions. And, and the, the systems that have embedded racism or discrimination or, or prejudice in, in, into those systems. I mean, it isn't that Native people or black people or, or somebody with a disability is lesser, uh, is a lesser human being. But the systems that have been constructed create that situation. That's what we're all trying to correct. That's what that's what we're all working towards. And damn, it's it's a shame that we can't just appeal to somebody's sense of, you know, morality. Instead, I mean, this is why people sue for, you know, for millions of dollars, you know. It's the only way you can ever send a signal to 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 moneyed interest is to take their money. So, had FedEx and Nike and Pepsi and Target and Walmart not issued some financial crimping of, of Dan Snyder's pocketbook, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. We, you know, there'd be those of us still wearing Caucasian shirts and, uh, and, and trying to turn the tables a little bit so people understand, you know, what it would be like if, other people, you know, if, if the majority, if white people, I mean, I, I wear an Aryan shirt with Donald Trump's picture on it because it's absurd, right? It's absurd to call a team by a name that's not even a racial slur, but it's a name that is associated with white supremacy. Oh, who would want to use that? But the point is, is to use, you know, just like this Caucasian shirt to mock the, the Cleveland, you know, baseball team. It's to call it out. And so we've been doing this. We've been doing it for 30, over 30 years. Some people have been at this for a, for a longer period of time than I have. And, and there's a whole range of people who have, had, who have a, uh, a, you know, a variety of different ways of appealing to people. I like to talk about you know, the, 
the juxtaposition of the treatment of kids in a residential school versus white kids playing Indian. But there, uh, some people are, are much more effective than others. Um, some are more effective than I am. But there's been a lot of us out there talking about this stuff for 30 years. But see, we didn't have the financial strength to impact anybody. We weren't stopping people from going to games. We weren't stopping, you know, sponsors and, and, and investors. Well, now they've stepped up. All right, hey, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we'll, we'll take a break and uh, come right back. This is John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. All right. Thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Let me give a shout out to my sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. I want to thank uh, Eric White and ERW Enterprises and the folks at uh, Grand River Enterprises. Um, and, and again, I want to give a, a shout out to, you know, to people who have supported the show in the past. We're, we are entering our 11th year and um, it is we, we couldn't have done it without, you know, a lot of support. And, you know, and there's a few that that were big supporters that are that are no longer with us and you know sugar montour comes to mind and and today i um i went to the the the, the um socially distanced uh funeral and burial of uh, of neville spring who has been one of my strongest supporters over the years you know long before i was sitting behind a microphone just when i was writing some some blog posts and a few you know columns and perhaps a a letter to the editor or so um neville used to actually print them out and put them out on his counter of his store and on the tonawanda uh territory um but we so i folks like like neville and and others who have supported the the this this program especially you know especially when i was doing doing this on commercial radio and and it was so very expensive um neville and his family you know so i want you know nori and, and others nikki uh jesse others who uh, who either through neville's enterprises or their own enterprises were uh, were supporting what i've done or what i was doing uh greatly appreciated and and we um look we we, we buried a, a a very very good man today uh, so um, I can't mention my current sponsors without giving another shout out to my to my good friend uh, Neville Spring. Um, all right, hey, uh, another thing that ha- that is that's happened is the Dakota Access Pipeline. The, the DAPL has been shut down, and uh, yeah, I, I, again, these are victories, but and they're they're good things when when some of these things happen. You know, the idea that. You know the Washington Football Team is probably going to change its name. The Cleveland Baseball Team is probably going to change its name. And even though sometimes these things happen for what I think are the wrong reasons, it's still a good thing that happened. So, um, for all of the protests, you know, that stretched over essentially two presidencies, Obama and and Trump. Um, all the protests, ten you know, ten thousand people accumulating at uh, at Standing Rock, and uh, that didn't stop this. And the 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 cry out from Native people about the quality of their life didn't stop this. This is is, is essentially being stopped. 
because a judge is finally acknowledging that the environmental reviews were not properly done. One of the things that, that they did with, and they do this all the time with, uh, with, with pipelines in particular, they won't do an environmental review of the entire pipeline. They'll do an environmental review of a segment. So they can say, well, yeah, we're not going to uh, impact the environment that much. We're, you know, from here to here. No, but, but that's not just what you're building. You're building not from here to here. You're building this. And uh, so it, it's one of the ways they screw the, the system and cheat the system. And of course, um, screw the environment. And ironically, we are still considered not just our territories, our sacrifice zones, but we are, as human beings, native people, we're, we're acceptable collateral damage. It seems like you have to have an endangered species, a fish or a, a bird or whatever else, which I think should be protected. But we're always going to be better off finding some other environmental concern other than our own health and safety and well-being. Because, frankly, nobody gives a rat's ass about, about ours. And even this environmental review, and, and look, we hope this stands. I mean, I know they, they not only had to stop using the pipeline, but they actually had to drain it. Um, there's no question that this thing is an environmental hazard waiting to happen. And while I'm glad to hear a judge stop this thing, at some point, we need to have the say on the stuff that impacts us. And we need to also be able to be a voice, you know, as my good friend, you know, Ed Schindler used to always say, somebody has to speak for creation. And, and it's not just about the environmental review. It's about anybody, the people who have the, the strongest connection to the earth. Now, I'm not saying that we should have veto power on everything that damages the earth, but we certainly should on what goes through our territory. And, you know, this, and this was a big debate uh, this, this year on the Canadian side. Should our ownership of land, should our rights on land grant us veto, veto power for, uh, for projects to go through. And Canada struggles with this, and the U.S. struggles with it. No, I take it back. They don't struggle with it. They say no. And, and I've talked about it on the show just recently that the uh, National Security Council, in addressing the uh, U.N. Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples before it was passed in 2007, they wanted to be clear that everybody needs to know that the United States... When they talked about self-governance and self-determination, they didn't mean it the way the international community did. They don't mean they meant internal self-determination. Like they can make decisions about what they do. But the National Security Council issued a formal statement saying the United States does not acknowledge that native people have the right to assert sovereignty over the land that they live on. Let me say it again. They wanted to be clear that in spite of the U.S. policy of promoting self-determination, that did not fit the international definition where self-determination included protecting your land. So that, that's the, the, the National Security Council of, of the United States. You know, and this was during the Bush administration. But that policy has never changed, not through the Obama years, and it certainly hasn't changed through the, um, uh, the Trump years. And, and again, this it has its origins in the doctrine of Christian discovery that every 
um, European colonies, including Canada, the United States, uh, you know, Australia, you know, and other parts of Asia, Africa. This is how they asserted their right to to create sacrifice zones and and collateral damage that was acceptable. So, look, I applaud the shutting down of the Dakota Access Pipeline. Even if I'm not crazy about what it took to finally do it. And and look, when we're fighting these things, we have to tr- pull every stop out. And, you know, just like with the mascot issue, look, I, I'm glad that big moneyed interest finally, you know, stepped up. Um, it's just... Too bad that any of these issues can't be just judged on the right and wrongness, the rightness and the wrongness of them. And, but that's not the world that we live in, right? We live in a, in a world that's driven by dollars and cents, driven by consumption. And, you know, and, and the crazy part about it is uh, this probably wouldn't have happened. Um, I'll bet this, this, these judges were even affected by the fact that the demand isn't there. Because of not only these, you know, this coronavirus, but the price of oil. If the demand was there, you know, then the acceptable losses and the, the acceptable collateral damage, you know, even whatever elements of the environment that seem to rate a lot higher than us um, would have been, you know, cast aside. So, um, but I, I did, I did want to mention that and, and acknowledge that, uh, that the pipeline, um, at this point is, is, is halted and, uh, and is being drained, I guess. Um, uh, we need, we need to do more of it. We, we just need to do more of it. Um, I don't know, uh, on the coronavirus stuff, uh, look, the, the U S, uh, crossed over the 3 million mark for, um, numbers of cases, uh, I, the United States, I think, just about hit a, a thousand dead for the day. Uh, the first time they've reached that number in, uh, or close to that number in, in, in probably you know almost a month. Um, it's the numbers are are almost insane. Um, today would have um, was the the highest number of new cases uh, on a Tuesday, and I, and I say that because if you watch the pattern. Uh, of of the curve, if you will, you know the, the number of new cases doesn't change by you know by a calendar day, you know day of the week, but how they're counted does. Every Sunday is the lowest, and you know, and then by the time you get to Thursday and Friday, to the highest. Um, which by the time Thursday or Friday come along, it'll probably uh, cross over the sixty thousand new cases uh, for the day mark, um, uh, maybe higher than that. Uh, because this is a Tuesday and it was already at you know at fifty five or something like that third I think third or fourth highest uh, new case rate um, since this whole thing began and again for that to happen on a Tuesday when the numbers are usually down they don't they just don't accumulate the same way you know during during the course of the week um, it's folks I'm telling you it's bad and you know and granted for the most part some areas seem to have reduced numbers new york state the numbers have dropped but it's just going to cycle back around look there is 330 million people in the in in the united states 330 million people um now look according to confirmed by tests uh, you know 3 million people uh have you know been have tested positive even if the number of people who are actually infected are 10 times that 
there's still 300 million people that could uh, that haven't been infected yet. So, you know, anybody who thinks, well, it's run its course. You know, all the old people who are going to die have died. No, there's a ton more old people. And and there's young people who can uh, who are uh, at risk. So, you know, the, the sad part is there's pretty much consensus now in the medical community that simply mandating masks could do a lot to, you know, to, but, you know, that's become, again, remember how I said that there's the right and the left, everything, every wrong position is the, is, is the right, the political right position. So, oh no, wearing a mask, that's uh, liberal snowflakes. That's, you know, people buying into the, you know, you know, to the conspiracies that the, the, the government has created and that kind of stuff. But, well, you know, it's, it is unfortunate. It's unfortunate that this thing is going to continue to um, literally plague humanity. And, and a lot of that plague is going to be directly associated with, with people who just don't give a crap. You know, who don't care about other people. And look, so when I say that I know the numbers are going to get bad in uh, New York State, here's the reason I know this. Because even though the numbers aren't bad right now, every place that I do go that... Even with signs on the door, say you must wear a mask. You go in there, you're going to see not just the it's not just the customers, you know, it's the staff work. If you wear a mask and you wear it below your nose, you're a moron. I mean, most people breathe through their nose. The only time people breathe through their mouth is when they're shouting, when they're out of breath, you know, or if they've got a sinus condition. So. If if you're wearing your mask below your nose, then you're doing nothing. You're not protecting yourself, and you're not protecting anybody else. You're just being selfish, and you're you're doing the obligatory, and you're not even meeting the minimum uh, obligation. Just just by having a mask that's visible, you think you've done enough. And look, there's people on the subways, on the trains, and airplanes that that aren't wearing masks. But look. Uh, when you go into any place of business and you realize that the both the the staff of that business and the consumers, if you're one of the few people properly wearing a mask, and I, 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 well, even if you're among the majority of people who are properly wearing a mask, there are still enough people who aren't that this thing is just gonna just gonna continue to go badly. And um, look, I've got family in California and in Texas, two states that are uh, are the hot zones right now, um, and it's you know. It, New York is not. New York is isn't out of the woods. I mean, there's no there's no building walls around New York State or New York City. Uh, it's it's just going to cycle back around, and you know. And so when you when you talk about everything else that's going on, you know the uh, the, the the tensions associated with with race relations, um, the 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 battle between the right and the left and in in an in election year and in the political climate that exists it's a it's a very very strange um world that we're living in and but i but i'll say it i've said it before and i'll say it again it's an incredible time to witness what's happening to to humanity what's happening to the united states um you know people <laughs> the, the the trumpers wearing their maga hats um, we can debate whether the United States was ever great, but 
it is um, certainly in decline. And if you don't believe me, then look at how many people have fallen from the middle class. Look at how many people have to have dual incomes to, to, to have a basic standard of uh, acceptable standard of living. I mean, that's, I mean, when I was a kid growing up, you know, one parent had to work four hours a week to support a family of five. Now, two, <laughs> two parents have to work, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week to support a family of three. You know, and of course, why is that? Well, it's because we're consumer junkies. We've got to have, with two drivers, we have to have three vehicles. Uh, with, uh, we've got to buy every, every new gadget that's disposable, you know, when, uh, you know, as soon as the, the state-of-the-art target moves a little bit. So, I mean, this is, this is the, the world that we're living in until it crashes. And, uh, you know, I've talked about the fact that I think the economic impact has not been felt yet. And then, look, you, you can hear all the people on the radio and talking about things like, um, uh, you know, the Wall Street and how the Dow Jones is going. But what people are not recognizing um, enough is that all the states none of their revenue is where it used to be. Some states have lost 50, 60, 70% of their revenue. And that includes things like sales tax. If they get revenue from hydrofracking or, you know, oil, you know, um, extractive industries or whatever else, that's all gone. And some of that's coronavirus related, but some of it's related to the fact that, uh, you know, Russia and, and the Saudis got into a pissing match over oil prices. You know, so things that are beyond the uh, the influence of the United States. Not the, beyond the impact, but beyond the influence. So all this stuff is going to come to a head. We're not even close to feeling this. I mean, you, you haven't seen a, a state have to figure out how they're going to slash the education budget. People are, are pissing them on about whether school is going to be in session in fall. I don't know how they're going to afford school. In, you know, how the states and how the counties, how the townships are going to afford to put kids back in school. I don't know. We're, we're going to see how, how that all plays out. Anyway, that's my little uh, digression to, uh, to COVID-19 and where, where that's all going. But I do, you know, like I said, I, I, I have to, you know, applaud people who are in the movement. So whether you're talking about, you know, especially the women who stepped up with the Dakota Access Pipeline. You know, look, I know there's a lot of, a lot of men that were involved, and I'm not trying to diminish their, the impacts, but, you know, the women who stepped up are, are, uh, deserve attention. This, this mascot issue, some of the, the most active people that I know have been women. Amanda, Amanda Blackhorse, Jackie Keeler, um, you know, Donna Fan Boyle. These are people that I've, you know, I've got, you know, gotten to know over the years. And their work has been incredible. And relentless. They just, in spite of the, the threats, the accusations, the, even, and sometimes threats of physical harm or even death. I mean, and look, you know, I've gotten them too. Uh, trust me, I pissed off a lot of people in Lancaster when uh, was speaking, not only there at the school, but in the, in the media and that kind of stuff. So, but the, the courage that it takes, it, um, some of our most vulnerable being, and, and I, look, I'm not trying to be patronizing or anything, but when I think about what Native women go through, the whole missing and murdered Indigenous women, and, and yet there's still women who, who place themselves on the front line of these battles, knowing 
that look they, they have a much greater chance of being harmed sexually assaulted you know um uh, murdered you know uh, you know kidnapped and yet we've got some incredible native women who have stepped up you know some of the locals here too i mean i don't want to take anything away from anybody um you know and i, I mentioned a few individuals but there have been native women who, who step up are on the front lines of all this stuff um so i i want to give my my shout out to to them and, and of course you know my friends in particular uh donna fanboy i hope you uh i hope i I, I put you put my, the t-shirt in the mail. I got yours, so I sent you mine. <laughs> um, but you know the the work that people do is uh, is incredible. And and look, it's not easy to stay committed to this stuff, especially because even when you do achieve a certain level of success uh, on, on a battle, you you've got to weigh it all out and say, "Geez, was my fight what did it?" And yes, it was. I mean, in this situation, I know, I, you know, I've said, look, money talks. You know, all the other stuff seemed to fall in deaf ears. But, you know, it, it did fall in the deaf ears of the people who make the ultimate decision. But had we not been ma- raising these issues every step along the way, raising the issues about racism and the psychological damage this, this has not only on Native children, but on, on non-Native children too, this idea of promoting stereotypes and racism, how it has negative impacts. Look, we've been at this, and we've been we go over it over and over and over again, and eventually, you know, these are the things that do hit somebody in the pocketbook. I mean, like I said, it it's unfortunate that we can't address these issues on simple moral simple moral grounds on the rightness and the wrongness of something, but that's the fight that we're going to have. That's the fight that we're going to uh, continue to be um, champions for. And until that fight translates into economic impact, it's a, it's, it's a long fight. It's a long fight. And, um, but, you know, the quality of life and, um, you know, again, economic impact, Everything is hinging on dollars and cents so much in the in the global economy, as they call it, that um, you can't deny it and you can't you can't ignore it. So there there is money to be made in immorality, obviously slavery, you know, um, sex industries, uh, uh, corruption. There's there's money to be made, but everything that is done that that challenges morality and ethics has another cost. It isn't just the cost of, uh, of a product. It's the cost of a quality of life. Somebody has to bear the brunt of the negative impact. Any crime that is committed, any immoral and unethical thing that is done impacts environment. It impacts our children. It impacts the next generation or several generations. So there is a cost to this stuff. It isn't just victimless crime there's no such thing as victimless crime not i mean i take it back it what i'm talking about there's no such thing as victimless crime i think there there are some things that people can do that uh, are have been criminalized uh, you know smoking marijuana for instance and that kind of stuff but when, when i think about what the power um elite get away with and 
and the negative impacts that they have on so much of our society. I mean, just economic disparity. The fact that you've got, you know, one, the 1% with, with over 50% of the wealth or, or 60% of the wealth of, 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 of any given country, that has a huge negative impact on those of us who struggle to, you know, to, to take care of our families and, and to do right by, you know, by the people we care about. And look, I know that there's, there's wealth in every um, segment of society, I guess, it, uh, scattered through. I mean, there, there are wealthy black men. There are wealthy native people. A lot of wealthy white people. And there are poor white people. And, and the vast majority of Native people and black people are struggling. And, and the vast majority are right at the poverty level. So there's a negative impact with all of this stuff. For everybody who has financial success, there, is, there are dozens who are paying for that financial success and enjoying none of that success. This is the challenge. We can't pretend that this is victimless. Injustice has, has a cost. It has a, unfortunately, until it has a financial cost to those who are perpetrating that injustice, it's hard to get much movement. But there is financial cost. There is quality of life that is diminished because of injustice. And that's why it's on us to, to push back and to fight it and fight it every step along the way. So whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's, you know, death by cop, whether it's missing and murdered indigenous women, whether it's poverty, whether it's suicide, depression, these are the things that we all have an obligation to address in our lives. And, and not, just, not just the ones that we love, but we need to address it with everyone. And it's not enough to say you're not a racist. If you're not an anti-racist, if you're not actively stepping up when somebody tells an, you know, some obscene racist joke and say, look, I don't want to hear that. Or somebody uses some racial epithet and, and you don't step up and say, that's inappropriate. It doesn't hurt you to say it. It's a little uncomfortable. But that's the least we could do. Look, I want to thank you guys for listening. We, uh, we'll, we are on this Thursday on WBAI, so we will be doing a show which will go out just like this on uh, a Facebook live stream and, of course, on to uh, our YouTube video. So, uh, uh, Or if you're in New York City, you can tune us in on WBAI. We will be on at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, 99.5 on your FM dial in New York City um, and streaming on their um, um, website, which is WBAI.org. Um, so we'll be back on Thursday and we'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Yahweh.